how laser focused you have to be in the public sector to really make it a sustainable business. Where you have sort of instances of people kind of fraudulently trying to make money from being an interpreter where they don't have the right credentials. And welcome to SlaterPod 86. Hello, Esther. Hey, Florian. How are you doing? I'm okay. We don't have any guests today because we had 13 oh. guests yesterday, speakers and panelists. It's a lot of people. It's a lot of people. So we had 13 uh, speakers, panel panelists yesterday, 300 plus turnout at SlaterCon Remote and really pleased. No hiccups, zero hiccups. Everything worked yeah, smoothly. Um, even my little Synthesia demo worked smoothly. So we'll just go through some of the highlights in a second. Uh, but after that, we'll talk about LinkedIn spam. LinkedIn spam. Uh, the new CEO of Apostrophe Group, the whole group, then an AI startup called Cohere. We tried to figure out what they're all about before the podcast that raised some money. Then fake interpreters and an LSP that shuts its doors. But first, those were two challenging panels. Uh, challenging not in terms of what they were actually on the day, but in kind of conceptually challenging panels we had yesterday about content. Mm -hmm creation in the age of AI and then your video localization panel. Uh, but I think they really turned out exceptionally well. So maybe first, just tell us a bit, just read just a little bit about what you guys discussed. And then I'll talk a bit more about the, the content panel we had. Yeah, sure. So I mean, I had some fantastic guests on. Um, we had Deluxe, Verbit and Kudo. So Chris Reynolds from Deluxe. Tom Livney, the CEO and founder of Burbit, and, and Fardad, um, who's also been on this podcast um, from, from Kudo. Um, so great lineup. And they all kind of covered slightly different areas, or, or in some people's opinion, vastly different areas. Um, but we kind of looked at the different aspects of video localization, similar to what we cover in the video localization report, but kind of exploring similarities and differences between speech and text outputs, um, as well as the live and pre-recorded settings. Um, we looked at some of the different um, use cases that the that all those companies focus on, um, talked a bit about technology as well. Um, so yeah, a couple of my takeaways or my sort of interested, interesting bits, I think, from the video localization panel. Um, well, Fardad revealed that Kudo had just launched um, live translated captions, um, so an option for live translated captions within um, their multilingual meetings platform, which is best known at the moment for facilitating remote simultaneous um, interpreting. Um, so, I mean, I think th this was interesting because on the one hand, he, he likened it to kind of adding live, live translated subtitles. He likened to uh, having subtitles uh, when you're watching a film or something, even if you have some kind of familiarity with the language that's being spoken. So it's all about sort of additional access, additional engagement um, with the audiences. Um, and kind of illustrates the point that I think we initially, or that was initially driving our concept of video localization, which is that there is a lot of crossover, not only between speech and text uh, outputs, but also between the, the live um, and the pre-recorded settings. That was one kind of highlight for me. Um, and then also just the, the general discussion, which I think actually kind of um, captured some of the themes that had been punctuating other parts of the conference as well around the role of technology 
um, specifically things like synthetic voices and AI dubbing um, and the role that, you know, potentially they will play in different parts of the video localization workflow at some point in time, um, as well as a bit of a reality check on the current state of some of the fully automated, um, you know, for example, for example, live translated captioning options that, that are out there at the moment. Or even the synthetic dubbing thing where uh, Chris from Deluxe said, well, I mean, he's still, I mean, there's still instances or there's instances where directors would pick the voice artist, right? Or the right. the dubbing artist. So I think uh, we're still, uh, who knows, maybe for, for the foreseeable future, there's not going to be a bunch of like automated voices uh, at dubbing, at least for kind of the high value content. So exactly. we, we yeah. on our panel with the, the content uh, gener uh, creation panel, I think we, it's hard to put it in a nutshell right now. I, I want to move on with the program. I mean, people can actually go and um, and rewatch the entire conference on our uh, mm. Vimeo On Demand channel. Um, so, but it was it was great. It was Constantine from Intento, Jochen from Corian, and Michelle from E2F. Um, kind of went from content localization, content transformation, which is more the text to speech, speech to text, etc., and then to um, to the whole GPT three discussion, which uh, everybody agreed was a huge deal. And in fact, E2F the uh, they're an LSP, but they're moving or they have moved very strongly into data for AI. I mean, they're they're already doing kind of the humanizing thing, which mm. I alluded to a couple of times where, I mean, they they let the model create tons and tons and tons of kind of raw content and like kind of artificial content, right? And then the the humans would, would, would uh, tweak it and make it, uh, um, yeah, make it human, I guess, and, and meaningful. Mm. So... But they're basically using it as data to ingest in some of these these models. Complex, complex. I'll uh, just watch watch the thing. <laughs> Sorry. Hey, Josh Gold, impressive speaker. The big word. Yeah. Um, that was really a really good. good presentation. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very, and, and a lot of good information. I mean, I. It kind of highlighted for me again how laser focused you have to be on the public sector to really make it a sustainable business, mm. um, because. Yeah, what he said, like, I mean, the amount of work that goes into, like, responding to an RFP, if you're not, yeah. if you're not geared towards that, you're just going to waste your time, like, doing the occasional public sector RFP. Because, yeah. I mean, the infrastructure that the big word is, uh, has, uh, has created to, to respond to this and, of course, and also execute is huge. And w when he mentioned that, um, uh, I mean, you're basically, um, you're committed once you, you signed the deal, it's public, yeah. as you said, for two to four years. I mean, you, you know, you, you, you gave the rates, you gave the deliverables, you can't, you can't back out of it. Yeah, you can't be yeah, like, you oh, can't sorry, uh, turns out it was a little bit more expensive than we thought it's going to be. Yeah. And also That's the upfront, you know, he was sort of saying some of the upfront cost of um, and just the huge, which I think we spoke about previously, like the huge sort of admin side and legal side, having to print out maybe sometimes thousands of pages for mm. these tender responses and things like that. So the upfront costs, um, yeah, super interesting. Absolutely. And then we had Francesca from Pinterest, basically uh, one of those stories from like one woman show to like full scalable internationalization operations that Yartal from from Blend scaling e-content, uh, sorry, e-commerce e content up, Sarkhan from, from Riot Games, kind of recounted quite a personal story of building the localization team. They're working with MemoQ as well. Uh, I think Memoq is really strong in the game lock space. Like uh, very often when I speak to people from game localization, they're using Memoq. 
Uh, lots of follow-up coverage coming up. Uh, those, again, who missed it, go to our on-demand Vimeo page, which is, which is well hidden somewhere. <laughs> Just Google it. Uh, you can actually rewatch the whole thing. Uh, those that that register obviously uh, get to watch for free, and the other ones can just uh, you know for a small small fee watch the whole thing. Hey, spam! Uh, how often have you gotten a CCJK LinkedIn connection request? I wouldn't know. I do have a lot of people that I connect with, thinking, okay, they're in the industry, and then I tr then I get well, people attempt to sell me translation services. So uh, that's that's what I, I sometimes I, I can bother to respond. But sometimes like, well, whatever. Uh, but CCJK, I probably this is like Chinese, simplified and traditional Japanese and Korean. Uh, apparently, they, they say they're a translation company in Shenzhen, like southern China. And I get like one request from them like a week, like just hmm. some random profile. I don't say person because it's definitely not a person. I think 90% of those requests are like fake profiles. Um, what makes you think so, they're fake though? Oh, they're fake. There was a discussion like a year ago um, mm. with some others like, hey, this is clearly fake. Uh, it's, it's just fake. I mean, these people, I even had, I think I had once, uh, I pinged them and asked them, but my, my point is, no, I, I'm 100% sure they're fake. Not all of them. That company probably does exist, but it's probably half the size uh, or maybe not half the size, maybe a tenth of the size that they're trying to, mm. uh, to, to inflate that here. And uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, if you, if they ping you CCJK, don't accept disconnect. If you have them in your network, I just checked actually, even though I don't accept them anymore, I've had still six connections. Mm. So I don't know. I just find it. Um, I mean, there's enough spam on, on LinkedIn, you know, as it is. So don't, don't spam me uh, like on purpose, basically. Um, so yeah, CCJK, don't, don't accept that. Um, very different. Uh, this week, uh, Opposite Group, Swiss, Germany based, um, uh, LSP, they're quite large. They have like $35 million in 2020 revenue, grew 15% from 2019. According to our LSPI, they got a new boss, um, Philip Meyer, who also, like me, lives in Zurich. Um, and he's now been the CEO of Opposite Switzerland for 10 years and now is taking on the group CEO ship. Um, so this is opposite of, uh, Switzerland was, um, I mean, that company has been around for a fair amount of time and they, they, they were acquired by a, a German based, uh, private equity firm called ECM in 2016. And then they acquired a bunch of companies, including, um, uh, a couple in the, the, in Germany. And now they're basically being merged into one under one umbrella, one brand opposite of group. And they did acquire a, recently a few companies. They got Lopez Ebri. That was already three years ago. Burton, Von Irsland, Whitney in Munich. Then a small one in Switzerland called, let me look that up, USG. And then Global Translations. That was about a year ago. And so, yeah, now they're getting a CEO. And look, this PE firm has been in there since 2016. And as we know, the typical investment horizon is what? Four to seven years. So at some point, they'll probably want to exit. So now they're packaging it up. Now, moving on to Cohere. Hmm. They raised. How much did they raise, Esther? Yeah, fa a fair amount of money. Uh, 40 million US dollars um, for their natural language software. Um, so, yeah, this is a, an AI startup that has been co-founded by alumni from the University of Toronto in Canada. Um, and their solution or their product is technology that could in 
improve or they say revolutionize how humans converse with machines. So one of the uses. No cases, less than that. Revolutionize, <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, the way humans converse with machines. That's, that's mm -hmm. it. Why do they always need these kind of like world changing mission statements? Well, I mean, if you want to get $40 million, <laughs> $40 million, you better have solve some kind of problem. But like which VC would sit there and say, all right. I mean, it's just, it's obviously like superb hyperbole. Um, Superbly. Superbly. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Ku here. Like, why would you say that? Anyway, okay, congrats. You raised yes, $40 well, million dollars for... Yeah. yeah. Sure, we can talk about what it is or what we think it might be. Uh, well, so one of the use cases they give um, is for use in customer service chatbots. So hence c the conversing part of of their of their pitch. Um, so I yeah. want to see that. I just had a. I mean, I my my phone died. I had to restore my phone. Lost two factor authentication. Uh, mm. Everything restored except one tool we're using called Zapier, and. I mean, that was a quite a complex customer service interaction to unlock that account again. So, and there, there were about four different customer service agents involved, including mm -hmm. somebody who actually gave me a call. So I want to see, you know, that being solved by a machine. So, yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't really have a point to Esther. I'm sorry, but it's just like. <laughs> I know what you mean. Like sometimes, I mean, customer service complaints or handling can be extremely complex. I mean, I think really complex and super complex. And yeah, I've seen but, this so many times now. It's kind of the fundamental like use case, and and yeah, you know, forty million dollars. That's a lot. But it also, money. I mean, it also, yeah, okay. So they say customer service chatbots. So I guess that's kind of like online web stuff. I mean, you also see other startups that are focusing more on kind of like the service desk, the, the physical sort of, oh, I'm at a hotel, you know, can I, t the screen will talk to me and tell me how to check in and, and wish me a nice day and things like that, which is obviously probably normally a lot more straightforward than, I don't know, somebody complaining about two-factor authentication not working and trying to actually resolve what can be quite a complex problem. And, and yeah, and currently, like me, we did kind of research this a bit. Like it's just, it's, it's models. They're saying, you know, fine tune our models with your data and create tailored models, purpose built for your needs. So it's, it seems like it's a repository of, of, uh, yeah, different, different machine learning language, machine learning models. And they say our models gain a rich understanding of language in the world by reading text across billions of web pages. Well, others have done that too. So yeah, let's see if they're, once they're coming out of whatever alpha or beta version they're in, if and the 40 mm -hmm. million is, is justified. Because, I mean, if it really is, Esther, at some point they need to get out of that obscurity where people like you and I barely understand what it is. Like, I mean, you know, we are looking at the space quite yeah. closely. And, like, at some point I would want to see some of these NLP firms really produce something that we can see. Like, like DeepL, for example. I mean, DeepL is... It's out there. It's people use it every day. Like, are people going to use Cohere every day? And if not, like, how can you justify a forty million dollar round, which is probably mm -hmm. at like a two hundred million dollar valuation? So, yeah, uh, maybe maybe we should get them on the podcast. To be fair, let's reach out to them. They can tell us, explain. All right, <laughs> sorry for that little uh, side tangent there. So, what about fake interpreters? <laughs> 
Yep, nobody likes a fake interpreter. Nobody um, likes a fake interpreter. But we've had a, a bit of a saga, I think, in, in the UK. So it's kind of come to the, the forefront uh, a few times in the news uh, where you have sort of instances of people kind of fraudulently trying to make money from being an interpreter where they don't have the right credentials or things like this. So the the case that we came across this week was that of a woman from Wakefield Wakefield in Yorkshire. Where's Wakefield? <laughs> in Yorkshire. Is this in the middle of the British Isle? Uh, it's in York, no. so it's north. North, Yorkshire. north? okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yes, anyway, this lady um, from Wakefield, she was cautioned and made to complete a rehabilitation course, um, having admitted that she committed fraud by representation. So specifically... According to the police, she presented a fake document uh, that it, while she was trying to become registered with the interpreter. And our friends over at The Big Word, apparently, who were involved in this uh, because they identified the, the document that she was presenting as fake. Um, so she was intending or trying to apply to become an interpreter then I think at some point was asked to prove her qualifications or credentials. She provided a certificate. Big word staff said, no, this is not legit. Um, and yeah, based on their sort of normal security checks. Um, and the police got, got involved, um, clearly. Looks like Joshua has, uh, has it under control. Helping the police <laughs> with the fake interpreter. Yeah, Preventing crime, start. left, right. Preventing and crime, yeah. Yeah. Um, another story out of the UK, a little, uh, Saturn. We haven't really spoken about that because it's usually not very public when companies close. Uh, but here mm. we have a company that apparently has closed an LSP that has closed in the UK because of COVID and, and the impact it had. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, they're closing. Um, so this, they're remaining open, I think, until the end of September. And, um, but this was an announcement three weeks ago or so from, um, like you said, a UK based LSP called Parallel Translations. Um, so the plan is they're going to close their doors uh, at the end of September. Um, and they've been trading for nearly 25 years. They apparently have already vacated uh, their offices, but they are, they're still operating right now. So they'll probably be winding up pro projects, um, still operating in a kind of winding down controlled manner, they said. So completing ongoing work for clients. They'll be invoicing as normal. Um, and then on the translator side as well, they, they wanted to re reassure their linguists that they are remain in a good financial position, um, and that they'll obviously settle any uh, amounts that are owed to translators. Um, but yeah, I mean, their explanation of, uh, why they were closing was interesting. I mean, I think, um, saying the effect that COVID has had on our business has been the overriding factor in our decision to cease trading. Our core sector has been particularly sorry has been hit particularly hard by the postponement and cancellation of clinical trials so this is interesting because i think early on in the pandemic we were talking a fair bit about um clinical trials being postponed and, and things like that and, and wondering about what knock-on effect that that would have on on lsps who operate in uh life sciences or clinical life sciences but we haven't really seen any um specific examples of of companies or LSPs in that space having sort of a, a real struggle um, over no, the No, actually the opposite. I mean, I've spoken yeah. to a fair amount of like quite life science-centric uh, LSPs over the mm. past couple of months. And I mean, many of them have told me, great business. I mean, no, no yeah. slowdown. 
So exactly. well, maybe there I mean, were quite some the kind opposite. Of sub-niche, some, yeah. yeah. Some exactly. I mean, quite the, I would say quite the opposite. Some that have grown sort of like twenty, thirty percent, you know, obviously yeah. from the smaller ones. But um, yeah, so kind of sad. But I guess you don't know sort of what what kind of subsector or sub niche they were exposed to, which I think is what what you were saying as well. Very interesting that he wind up the company in a controlled manner as opposed to just shrinking it down brutally sell it. And, make, <laughs> and sell it. Exactly. Yeah, sell it. I mean, someone would probably want to have those client relationships, right? Mm. So I understand if a company gets, I mean, basically has like liquidity issues and goes bankrupt. I mean, that that's one thing, although that's kind of hard to do with it with an LSP because it's, you can scale mm. costs up and down quite rapidly. But to like in a controlled way, just ride into the sunset, That that's... Uh, have come across that and then i mean they're you know kudos to them and they're very public about it very yeah um you know yeah in a diligent way winding it down so all the parts well they also said regarding their staff um the the current team i don't know exactly how big it is or how many employees they have um, but they said they're well on their way to finding fulfilling roles elsewhere and i have no doubt that their future employee or employers will consider them very fortunate to have them on the team so I guess uh, anyone looking for project managers, salespeople, professionals, potentially in the life sciences space, uh, you know, maybe have a look at uh, Parallel and some some of their stuff. Yeah, I mean, according to our jobs index, there should be roles plenty out there. So. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Good luck to the team. Again, if anybody um, is is hiring, maybe you should uh, not maybe do do check out uh, you know Parallel Translations LinkedIn profile and and, and see if there's any anybody you, you want to hire from there. All right, so that was it for the week. And, um, you know, thank you so much again to all the speakers, panelists, sponsors, partners, and participants yesterday at SlaterCon Remote. The next one's going to be in early December. And who knows, maybe we're going to do the hybrid <laughs> thing. Although the closer it gets, the more I'm like, really? Do I want to book a hotel? <laughs> Let's see. Anyway, all right, cool. <laughs> Thanks, Marianne. See ya. Bye.